It's been a crazy weekend. <laughs> yes. We had a birthday party for my kids. And yeah. uh, it was, uh, we had like, I think we had 60 people there because it was a oh. birthday party for both of them. And they each have like 20 kids in their class and all of our family. And and it was just crazy. My 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 three, almost four-year-old got kicked in the head and ruptured her ear. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> We had to go to the uh, ER, but you know it's not a party unless it ends in ER. Somebody <laughs> it ends in the ER. God, I feel like such a bad, bad parent. But it was a fun time. And then yesterday, we went to iFly. Do you know what iFly is? Yeah, that's the the fan thing that blows you up in the big tube. Yeah, it's indoor <laughs> skydiving. That's so cool. And it is the coolest thing ever my entire life i'm sure me and a bunch of people who grew up watching peter pan like i've always wanted to fly and this is like the closest you can get to flying yeah because you're suspended in air with nothing and you're just and the guy who was the instructor he was like going up and down and doing flips and flying around like superman and i thought like i wonder if they ever do mocap with this thing yeah yeah. It seems like it would be such a great way to do it. So long as the cameras can read through the glass, why wouldn't you yeah. be able to do that with the dots? Right? Yeah. It's seriously incredible. And it looks so different from wire work. Yeah. Because wire work is very linear. Mm. And this is this is like three-dimensional motion. Is there a weight limit? Because I'm yeah. two, I'm 250 pounds. The weight limit is 265, I think. Oh, I could just creep in there. Okay. You could totally do it. I mean, it would it would be on like max power just to like hoist me off the ground. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, my husband did it. My mom, who's 66 years old, did it. Yeah. And my daughter, who's three, did it. I love it. And And when she did it, it was like, it was like... It was like watching Peter Pan, honestly. Really? She flew with the instructor and he held his arm around her waist and she put her arm around his neck and they flew around the tank oh like Superman. God. And it was like her face was just like, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> I you know, love it's it. It's amazing. That's so cute. It's amazing. Oh, presumably but, you got lots of video. Yes, we got lots of video. It's on my Instagram if anyone wants to look at it. At Karen Gilfrey. <laughs> But speaking of mocap. Yes, I was going to say, what a transition. <laughs> Anyone that's listening to this knows because I already put it in the title, but we're talking about video games today. And uh, mocap is part of video games, which we'll talk video about lately. Games. Um, video games, they're fun, right? <laughs> if you want to escape your life, play a video game. <laughs> I just made that up. Oh, I okay. You know this, I was like, I, is this a reference, American to, reference I don't get? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I went to Juilliard. <laughs> Very, I can see, I can tell. All those thousands of dollars really paid those off. thousands of dollars. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, so, what's your what's your history with video games? Do you play them? I, Are you a consumer? I played video games all the way up until Mario Kart 64 and then there was nothing that could ever top it and so yeah. I've never played video games again. Yeah. No, um uh I don't play a lot of video games now, but my husband loves video games and mm. it's actually so fun to watch him play yeah and so i watch him play a lot and he plays all the big ones you know he he plays all the video games that are popular and and um what's kind of cool as a voice actor is you can actually uh make all of your video game stuff a business deduction Mm. because you do need to have it and watch video games and play video games in order to kind of keep abreast of what is popular in the culture so it's it's absolutely a legitimate professional expense to uh write off your video games um and yeah so we have all the systems we have uh all the vr headsets as well oh wow which which are it's really interesting and fun creepy and weird yeah that's a whole other yeah so i don't play it i don't play them a lot but i do watch others playing them what about you uh, yes, same. Well, not same, actually. No one in this house plays video games. Um, but I've watched it because I'm in this game, uh, Rainbow Six, and they have this sort of uh, like a sort of World Cup final thing that they have every year. It's in a, a stadium in Montreal. And, you know, it's like a stadium. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like thousands of people watching. And uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, I was asked to go out there a couple of years ago and... Um, do a meet and greet and it was it was amazing watching these guys i mean it's so complicated it's so unbelievably complicated the strategy and the coordination and the speed of the thing and everyone's like cheering and going "Ooh!" and i'm like literally don't know what the hell's going like watching it was hard let alone actually performing but yeah i don't play them the last game i played was fifa 98 world cup edition (laughs) that's how long ago um but yeah, um, unfortunately, I I don't play video games. I enjoy watching it, and and when I do, it is fun. But it's just hard to carve out time to do something like that. Tell us a bit about your history being in video games. Well, it's it's funny because it's never a genre that I've really pursued all that hard. But when you get to a level where you're represented by decent representation, decent agents and managers and things, you get sent pretty good opportunities. Uh, because you're on the roster. So, you know, over the last sort of 10 years or so, I've done a fair few video games, and it's fun. It's definitely a really interesting genre, and it does test your acting chops more and more because these video games are getting more and more cinematic, and it's more and more emotionally invested in the in the characters, and the, the script writing's really good, and everything about the production is, you know, like... I mean, they make more money than movies, so they put a lot of money into these things. So they are in- incredible productions. And actually, shout out to Marco Camarota uh, for his YouTube channel. We should talk about that because uh, he's a voice actor and ex-opera singer who's got an amazing uh, YouTube channel talking about the music of video games. Um, so yeah. if you're interested in the music side, you should de- definitely check that out. Is it just his channel? Is it called something? Do you know? Um, I'll, I'll Google it. Yeah, Google it. Yeah, I actually I have I have some singer friends who go around the world with orchestras that play video game music and sing either in the choir or sing as like a 
soloists and travel everywhere to like sing these video game music concerts, yeah, <laughs> which is really cool because a lot of the music, you know, it's like the it's the popular classical music of our time. It's so it's so intricately written. A lot of it is just like so complex and beautiful and heart wrenching and. It's film. It's film scoring, but uh, but different in that it's interactive and different things play different things. I always, I always, um, I always think of movie music and video game music as the subtext of the scene. Yeah. Right. So, like, you can say to someone, "Good morning. How are you?" And if there's like beautiful sweeping gorgeous music playing in the background you might think that i saying good morning how are you i'm in love with the person that i'm saying it to right or i'm having a great morning but if there's like creepy like (laughs) scary (laughs) thriller music playing in the background and i say good morning how are you in exactly the same tone yeah you might think that later in the film or in the video game, I'm going to murder someone. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So music plays a huge role. And his channel is Marco Meatball. (laughs) Marco Meatball! (laughs) If you want to look it up. Um, Yeah, he's great. Um, Yeah, so uh, what about you? What about uh, your history in performing in video games? I've done a fair amount of games. There are a few, you probably have this too. Video games are incredibly secret. Yeah. So there are a few that are coming out. They were supposed to come out last fall and then this spring and then next fall and then (laughs) Christmas time. But as long as they're not released and your name is not attached to the project, you can't really talk about it. Yeah. So what's interesting is I moved to the LA area in 2020 and I get so many more video game auditions now that I'm here. Yeah. And I've worked on like six or seven different games since I moved here in 2020, and only two of them have come out. And I really didn't work on a lot of games when I was in New York, because there just wasn't as much opportunity. A lot of the stuff here, the games that I've worked on, a lot of them do really late sessions, like 6 to 10 p.m., uh, and that's because we're connecting with clients in Japan, and that's a good time for them to to meet. If you did it in New York, 6 p.m. is 9 p.m., so you'd be like 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Yeah, or something. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't really work to be in a studio in, in New York. So they like to work with people who are in the L.A. area because the time zone just works out better. And then L.A. also has a lot, a lot of motion capture studios and places where you can do that kind of work um, and there just isn't as much in other places. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot more video game work in the last three three years than ever before in my career. And is that all coming from representation? Yeah, all from agents and managers. Yeah. It's sort of weird. In a way, you don't have to, like I mentioned for me, you don't have to like sort of work your way up the indie titles to get to the AAA titles in video games. If you have a good agent and a good manager and you know a decent video game demo, 
they hire through casting or they have their own internal casting, which ha- uses the traditional model, particularly in LA, which is a, a system that is very well established and is probably not going to change very much. So there is a big gulf between those really high profile AAA type titles and a lot of the indie game developers. That's very different. I think people who are earlier in their career can get opportunities by networking in that world and, you know, meeting with developers and, you know, reaching out to people and working on very small games and then graduating up because maybe that game gets a bit of publicity and notoriety and then their character gets known. And then when they go and reach out to a developer, they go, oh, I I played so-and-so in X game. It is a bit more linear and a bit more, you know, self-determined that way. Which is which is interesting because I never, and I don't think you did, went that route. We didn't sort of build up. No, although the first few games that I was hired for, I did get from online casting sites. Yeah. And what was interesting is one of the games that I booked from an online casting site, this game called Warframe. Oh, yeah. Um, it started off like just a really small indie developer game. And then it turned into this game that everyone loved and is now a huge game. And... Uh, I remember they went to Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con, like a few, a few, maybe like a year after the game came out. And there were just thousands of people there that <laughs> loved this game. And I, and I was invited to come. And so I went and I felt so cool. Yeah. You feel like a celebrity, <laughs> a right? Party, and I, <laughs> I know, you feel like a celebrity. It was totally fun. So, and I have like a super small part. I have a super <laughs> small role in that game, but it just, it it was very cool. This is one of those few genres where you can actually build some kind of a following from your work. Um, that and possibly animation too. You know, no one cares about the person that does the promos for NBC or, you know, obviously internal narration, corporate narration or even commercials. Like, you're not going to build any kind of profile with that. But what's what's interesting is that we often work across genres to pay the bills you know we work in you know various genres and you can sort of parlay some of your social media notoriety from video games and you know if you grow that you end up with a decent following on social media you know other subcategories of voiceover may be interested because you have a decent following on social media so there there is some crossover there and you might get recognized at an olive garden (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was at an Olive Garden. I think it was for like my mother-in-law's birthday or something. And we were there with my wife and my in-laws and um, my sister-in-law, I think, was there as well. And yeah, the the waiter kind of knelt down beside the table right next to me and said, hey, are are you in video games? (laughs) I was like, yeah, (laughs) how do you know that? (laughs) And he recognized me. Weirdly, I do a voice in the game that he recognized me in, so I don't know how he really got it, but I found it excruciatingly embarrassing, particularly with the people that I was with. You know, I wasn't, no, he wasn't being, you know, invasive or, or anything other than very nice, but it was just I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready for it. I don't know. I guess if I'm doing a You're not public... used to signing autographs at an Olive Garden? <laughs> no, that doesn't happen often. But if I'm going to a social event or I'm going to an event where there's some sense of people know who you are, I'm a bit more prepared for it. But just having dinner for like my mother-in-law's birthday at an Olive Garden, it felt really weird. I don't know. I, I would hate being a celebrity. Absolutely detest it. <laughs> 
That's why you go by Falco Scrum yeah. pretty often. There we go. There we go. That's it. Um, have you been recognized ever in anything? No. Yeah. No. I think you deal with I mean, it better than only, I did. <laughs> the only the only time that I feel like people recognize me is if I'm at a voiceover conference yeah. and people are like, "Are you Karen Gilfry? <laughs> the one the one who does that thing with Jamie, <laughs> yeah. the conference or Nava? That's the only that's the only notoriety I get. Oh, the other time I got recognized was picking up a prescription at CVS. And luckily it wasn't a really embarrassing prescription. <laughs> it was like throat medicine or something. Um, but yeah. Oh my God. Speaking of CVS, the only actually <laughs> So I'm I'm I've been one of the brand voices for CVS Health for a long time and I um I was in CVS getting like a flu shot or something and the guy was giving me the flu shot and one of my ads came on the loudspeaker. Yeah. And and I actually said to him like I have to tell you something. Do you hear that voice? That's actually me. And he was like, "Oh." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I I do I do a lot of uh the commercials and <laughs> and videos and stuff for CBS." And he looks at me and he goes, "I don't I don't know what that I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I was like, you don't know what what is? He was like, what whatever you do, like, I, I don't know what that is. I was like, I do the voice for the, never mind. <laughs> it's like, never going to say it again. Uh, I mean, it's, it is it is very nice. He was just like, he was like, I'm a medical professional and whatever this thing is that you're telling me, like you talk for, for CBS, like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like any kind of uh, public out of the voiceover world recognition is never going to end well. You know, it never, it never, no. it's, you know, you can be huge in like, I don't know, architecture <laughs> and no one outside of that industry is going to give a damn who you are, you know. Um, but, oh, so funny. but anyway, let's talk, let's bring it back to actual, um, yes, the nuts yes. and bolts of, of video game work. So um, you said you get a lot more work in LA. Do you need to yeah. be in LA? to do video game work would you say so here's the weird thing the only sessions that i've been to in person except for one which was a a fluke but the only sessions that i've been to in person have been for video games yeah and there are a couple reasons why number one it's pretty helpful to have an engineer run your session when you're doing video games because the dynamic range is so great. Yeah. Um, And video games are a heightened form of acting that doesn't really exist in the same way in any other genre. Like literally every character in a game from the small roles to the large roles are put into impossible situations where you might be dying from catching on fire or dying from being shot or dying from stepping into a pool of water that is uh, electrically charged <laughs> yeah or dying from a force of magic spell or whatever those are situations that don't really exist in the same way in the on-camera world because and not even really in animation because one character might die all of those ways yeah you have to put yourself emotionally in that place even if you are a tiny, non-playable character that's like that 
your whole role in the game is just to be shot at. And then in that way, you might have to die in three seconds. You might have to die immediately. You might have to die a real long, agonized death. You know, yes. even in within those specific scenarios, you've got a range of options as well and intensities. And you just don't do that in any other genre. No. So just by virtue of the dynamic range, like you have to be loud, you have to be screaming, you have to be quiet, you have to be all kinds of things. It's great to have an engineer there so that you are not engineering your own session for the entire time. Yeah. Um, Because it's just a lot. There's a lot of stuff happening. The second reason why video games are often recorded in person is because they are incredibly secret. Like so secret that Nearly every video game audition that you get is under a code name. You have to sign an NDA before you can even audition. You only get the code name. A lot of the lines uh, that you audition with are just totally generic lines that have nothing to do with the actual video game. Sometimes they have something to do with the video game, but often they have nothing to do with the video game. Then your agent will tell you, oh, you congratulations, you booked code name Snake. And you're like, okay, I don't know what that is. And they're like, we don't either. We'll let you know when you get to the session. Yeah. So then you get to the session, you walk in, and they're like, please leave your phone outside of the booth. We're not going to give you a paper script to write on. The lines will be on the screen. And you get there and they're like, congratulations, you're in the new Zelda. And you're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then you do the session without the script in hand, without your phone in the booth with you. And, you know, you might sign like 15 different NDAs at the studio as well. (laughs) And then you leave. The game is so secret that they don't want to send the documents over email. Yeah. A lot of times. So you can't be in your own booth because they want you to be in person so that they can like do all the stuff with you there in person. So that's part of the reason why it's It's in studio, and that's part of the reason why a lot of the work is done in one place, which is L.A. But that's not a hard and fast rule. No. And again, we're talking about the real top tier video games with lots of money on the line. Um, I have done those kind of gigs in my studio, and it'll be on a Zoom session, and they'll just share their screen and show you the script on their screen. So they never send you a PDF or anything. So that's how they get around that, um, which is a little annoying because sometimes like the, the video isn't like perfect or they like scroll down and then they close the window while you're reading and check their email or whatever. And you're like, hang on a second. Sorry, script's gone. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it is extremely secretive. Yeah, I've done some where they didn't even really mention what it was and I kind of figured it out if it was like a mm-hmm. even for a non gamer, I could figure out what it was based on the copy but yeah very very secretive so when you're doing it on your own like you said it's incredibly dynamic so i would definitely advise however you do it to have an ability to adjust your gain on your input for your interface in the booth whether that is you can do it virtually on your screen which some some interfaces allow you to adjust the gain with software or you have the interface in the booth with you or it's just outside the door so you can just adjust it up and down but a lot of the lines you can literally be screaming one line and whispering the next line screaming one line whispering the next line it is that up and down constantly 
which is sort of good for your voice. I think it's better than doing a whole two hours of solid screaming. But, you know, having that variation gives you a little bit of a break. So speaking of that, what about voice protection? And what are your thoughts about those big battle-type games that require a lot of screaming and shouting? So it's really hard. Okay, so ideally, they will save all of your really loud, intense screaming lines for the end of the session. Because if you do it at the top of the session, then your voice might be just shredded for the rest of the time. And you definitely don't want that. And ideally, if they know that you have a big, vocally intense session, they'll do it on a Friday uh, or a Thursday so that you have the weekend to kind of recover before you have to get back to all your regular work on Monday. Um, As an opera singer, I feel like I have a lot of techniques to make things healthier than they then if I was just screaming without any kind of um, without any kind of training behind it. Mm. But I will say that if something hurts, you're probably hurting your voice. Yeah. And you have to make the determination in that moment whether it's more important to be authentic and serve the story and do something that it doesn't feel 100% comfy or if you need to do it in a different way that makes it more healthy vocally but might not sound as intense. Yeah. And usually directors are very, very understanding when it comes to that. If you need to take a break, if you need to take get a sip of water, whatever, whatever you need to do, they're very understanding. Do not make sounds that hurt for a long period of time because you can you can literally burst blood vessels in your vocal cords you can you can hurt yourself so badly that you can't recover and you don't want one video game session to ruin you for a very long time so just be be very uh, aware of that the number one tip that i would give is use your breath. Use your breath as your power. So if you need to do a big scream, stand solidly on the floor, take a take a big breath, and instead of screaming from the throat and from your muscles, use the air to push the scream out and relax your, your neck and your shoulders and your muscles of the upper body as much as possible so that you're not holding tension and then that, that will help you... Um, not injure yourself yeah. as much. Yeah, that's very good yeah. advice. And I would also add that day one, session one, if they ask you to go to 10, be aware that whatever that 10 is for you, you might have to do like 2,000 more times. <laughs> so maybe don't go actually all the way to 10. <laughs> um, they don't know that that's not your full 10. You know, 10 is in like the max that you can do, irrespective of vocal protection. I made that mistake in a game and it was great. I got cast, you know, I got more characters. I got, you know, lots of lines in the game, but I'd made that rod for my own back session one and I regretted it big time, <laughs> you know, over the course of like two years doing sessions for this game. So, yeah, be, you know, like you just said, be very present and aware 
of what you're doing. Because, yeah, I mean, maybe you could recover, you know, particularly the vocally intensive ones. If you're doing lots of sessions, they tend to give you a couple of days break between those sessions. But, well, what about all the other work that you've got to do? (laughs) So, you know, video game sessions, they pay okay, can be okay, but really the if it's a sad gig for up to a four-hour session you you're getting about 900 something dollars which yeah for four hours work 900 dollars is is okay but if it is really putting you out of action for a long period of time it is not worth the money and it's not worth the money for your own health anyway so i actually am very picky and choosy these days as to what games i even audition for if it says soldier you know, number four for a game and it says vocally intensive, uh, I I pretty much don't audition for it because I'm like, yeah. it's just going to just absolutely knacker my voice, <laughs> you know, which I don't really, I don't really want. I think the other important thing to remember is that you can be intense without having to be extremely loud. Yeah. The intensity and the drama come from the intention and creating a real circumstance in your mind um, and really committing to whatever's happening in that moment in a, in a real authentic way where you like feel it in your body. Intensity comes from that. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to scream every line in order to be intense. Yeah. And I find that if you come from a place of emotional intensity and you do a scream, it's, to me, for me anyway, it's automatically more in my body and healthier for my throat. Yeah. Because I'm coming from a place that's totally connected. And what kind of sucks about video games is um, that the stakes are so high, and you are in situations that are incredibly emotionally scary. Mm. <laughs> like, even if it's, even if you're, like, being, you know, killed by a wizard or something... <laughs> It's like a totally imaginary scene, you know, like if you imagine if you imagine you as a person in that moment where you are dying because someone is killing you, that's a very emotionally intense place to to put your brain. Yeah. And um, so like I (laughs) I feel like sometimes after some video game sessions, I just have to get in my car and go like, oh, yeah, draining. Physically, emotionally, 100%. Oh, man. I did a game once, and it was quite a few sessions, and they had a a scale of three for Mm -hmm. emotional intensity and physical intensity, volume. volume. Mm. And, you know, you could have a three in emotional intensity and a one in volume. So it could be something like a real intense interrogation or something like that. That would be a three-one. Or it could be a 3-3. You could be on a battlefield being shot at, screaming at your buddy across the field, like, get down, get down. You know, that is full-on intensity. And then any combination of those different levels. But one thing to consider is that, like we talked about earlier with the dynamic range in terms of controlling your your gain, that's also the emotional range. (laughs) But it can result in a very, it feels almost... I don't mean this derogatorily, like schizophrenic kind of feel, like of switching emotions so violently between lines. And, and you know, particularly if you are really going to those places, that can be 
quite draining. You know, one minute you're sort of skipping in a field, happy-go-lucky, and the next, you know, it's a death scene or, you know, something like that. Um, I think they're getting better at understanding that you can't necessarily put an actor through that and expect them to give the truest possible performance. And so they do try and batch things together. But I've definitely done games where it is all over the place. And what you're given is a line on a script. Sometimes the only direction is a single adjective, you know, to describe the mood. So that's why it's directed. The director is able to, and the producer and the writer. Give you context. Yeah, they're giving you, they're explaining to you where you are, what you're looking at, what you're dressed in, what the emotional stakes are, who the people that you are interacting with. And it really requires a huge amount of imagination and creative play to get into that space. And there is no room for BSing. It is really intense, you know, these these days with these games. And by the way, you know, the fact that you don't get the script in advance, the fact that you have no context for what your character is doing in a scene, because you didn't even know what the game was until you walked into the session, (laughs) you know, two minutes ago. Um, The fact that you don't have time to research what everything is and who you and and the, the world of the game and everything. You rely so heavily on one, that director that's in the room with you and two, on your ability to cold read. Mm. And to cold read with emotion, because there is no, I mean, sometimes there is, many times, there is no, I'm going to take this script and break it up into beats and and move it into groups of three so that I know that I'm going to emphasize this word, this word, and this word, right? You don't get that. Yeah. So being able to cold read and and having really good improv skills yeah. are so important for video games having your brain be just like open to all possibilities and so in the moment and that's hard to do when you're engineering yourself so again another good reason to be in a studio but yeah cold reading the other thing i'll say is if you have any vision difficulties um in a session like this like be sure that you can see far away because often the script will be on a screen 10 feet in front of you um, and the font might not be the greatest font ever and you could maybe ask them to change the font but that might mess up their formatting of how they input all the lines and (laughs) all of that stuff and they can like try and make it bigger but like be sure you bring your glasses if you are nearsighted yeah. <laughs> um, or wear your contacts that day or bring extra contact solution because if your eyes get dry, you want to be sure that you can like uh, put some eye drops in there so you can see far away. <laughs> These are all the practical, <laughs> non-sexy things that we have to think about um, to, great, to create a great video game product in the end. It can feel like a a puzzle. It really is like a puzzle, like particularly if you're self um, self engineering as well. That's like a whole other layer layer to you have to worry about. But you do just have to go line by line and like reset each time almost and go right. What's this next? The challenge of this line. This is what I've got to do this time. I remember one game. It was Gotham Knights, and I was I was playing this sort of thug, this really mm-hmm. high intensity character that was doing an impression of Batman. <laughs> so I'm like a British guy doing an American thug doing an impression of Batman. And it was it was obviously all the other stuff as well. It was in the scenario. And it was just like, it, it almost broke my brain. But it, it's funny when you get into that mode of just being hyper creative, 
hype it, present, all that stuff is, yep, cool, let's do it. Like, next line. And you go in there and you just, you kind of get in a zone. Yeah, you can step out of the booth and be kind of a little shell-shocked, like, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. your head, head's hurting because you were screaming and, you know, I'm a little bit high on throat coat because all the, like, sugar I'm kind of buzzing. <laughs> but, yeah. That's the name of your, that's the name of your uh, memoir, High on Throat Coat. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> By Falco Scrubble. Um, by Falco Scrubble. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about motion capture? Because oh, yeah. um, I haven't done a lot of it. I've done a little bit, but you've done a lot more. And I think it's a totally different thing from doing a video game in a studio. Oh, it, yeah, it is. And it's it's a lot of fun, but it's a whole different kind of pressure. And... I'm not sure I loved the pressure of it, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, so basically, of course, you have to be off book for a start. So you have to memorize everything. And that was the biggest scary thing for me, you know, because I'm just so used to having a script in front of me. And just that's a whole thing that you just don't have to worry about when you're in the studio. You're interacting with other people for the first time. Like that almost never happens in a video game session. Maybe in animation it happens a bit more, but video games, you're always on your own almost all the time. So yeah, now now you've got other people to interact with. Um, so basically getting back to the sort of how it works, they put you in a suit, you've got the little dots all over you and they mark up on your face as well. They put dots on your face. So they put they put them where your joints are and where all the points at which you articulate. So uh, on around your lips, around your eyes, on the tip of your nose and around where your jaw is. And those are all points that the, the computer is capturing so that they can just superimpose that or superimpose the character on, on those dots, you know, in the, they call it the constellation. And so they put you in the suit, they draw all the dots on your face or they stick them on, which, whichever way the technology works in that session. And then, yeah, you, you, um, you run the scene um, with other actors. You have this helmet on and it has, you know, these bright LED lights that are blasting you in the face the whole time. And there are cameras, front-facing cameras, so that, that they, they see your face. And I would definitely not recommend looking at the monitor that has the front-facing cameras on it because you just look horrendous. <laughs> it's such a, it's like a, all three fisheye lenses, you know, it's like a horrible yeah. look. Um, so, yeah, you get on what's called the volume, which is the, the space with the cameras all set up all around it. And you have to be very aware of the technology, but also forget about the technology. It's kind of a weird thing. So if you have like a an emotional connected scene with another person, for example, and you need to, you know, get a little intimate with them. You can't go face to face because your your helmets would crash into each other. And, you know, your eye line is even a little odd because you're kind of looking over the top of the cameras and the lights. So it takes a little getting used to with all that that kind of stuff as well. So you can't do a makeout scene? No, you can't. You can do it, you can do it like six it's inches like, away. Like, it's like, how do anglerfish make out? Right, exactly. It's exactly the same. Yeah, they got the little light on the end of the thing. Um, yeah, so it is kind of like that. And so then you step on, you have to do this thing called T-pose, which is where you stand and make a T with your arms. And everyone does that. They put all their props down on the floor. They make a T-pose. And then the camera the camera and the computers do a check of where everyone is. And it's sort of a starting position. 
And so when it knows where everyone is and where everyone's starting, then it it plots out all the movements subsequently. So you do the T pose, then they you know call action and you do your scene. Um, but in addition to that, you've got a sound person booming you as well as the mic that's on your head, and you've got another person shooting you with a regular camera. So it's a bit like you know a film set. And so it's a lot of people. Like there's a lot of people around, and sometimes you're tethered. Most of the time you're wireless so you don't have to worry about a cable connected to you or anything but equipment goes down stuff doesn't work so you have to like stop and reset and start again and go back into t-pose you have to finish the scene with t-pose as well so that's the end point of the scene so there's a lot to sort of take into it uh but it's stressful but kind of a good level of stress but it's also like nothing you've ever done before <laughs> um it's not even like filming film and tv because you've got all this yeah. tech attached to you and but it's much closer to reality because you're dealing and you're speaking and interacting with other human beings so that's the real fun bit but the pressure that i felt was if i screwed up a line everything gets reset you know everyone goes back to the starting point and it it, it just felt like such you would really <laughs> you know screw up if you got something wrong, you missed a line or you said something a bit funny or, you know, you, you, you know, obviously now you've also got your physicality to worry about as well, which does kind of come naturally if, if you just kind of go into it and, and what have you. But um, we did some scenes where we had to breach a building and we had like a special forces guy training us. And so we did the full special forces way to breach a building with the whole crew together. And that was, that was amazing to get that, tra that training. Like it was so much fun. But the pressure for me was too much. A lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 So how do you learn all of this stuff? Like all of the actors that are in there, do they all already know this? And you're coming and or or is it like it's a mixture of some people who've done mocap and some people who've never done it. And so they explain everything to you as it go, as they go along because it's such a unique genre of or unique kind of recording. <laughs> the first time I did it. Maybe one or two of the actors had done it before, but you are kind of walked through step by step. It sounds a lot when I explain it all in one go, but, you know, it, it's a sequence of processes that they say, OK, now we're going to do this. Now you're going to put the helmet on. Now, now, when you have the thing like they there's a whole sequence of like calibrating the cameras with the computer and they have to go in. Like, you, you even have to do this thing called facial ROMs, <laughs> which is really funny. Yeah. And you have to make all these kind of funny faces, exactly. And then there was one bit, I've done it a few times, where they have you stand in the middle of the volume and then you read this completely nonsensical script at multiple levels. So oh, you do it really quiet. You do, and it's just complete gobbledygook. And then you do it sort of spoken volume and then you're yelling it and you're just stood with like 30 people staring at you, just re yelling this thing in the middle of this huge, great space. It's just a really weird thing. And then you have to do like you stand on one leg and then you bend over and then you crouch and then you touch your toes and then you do a star shape and yeah, all for the computer, you know. And yeah. quite frankly, this was the last time I did it was maybe three years, um, three and a half years ago. Maybe it's all changed since then because computer technology. Yeah, I know. That's what I was going to say is yeah. as the technology changes, it's likely that none of this stuff translates over and now you can just walk in without a suit at all. Well, you know, <laughs> Who knows? Re really, because I mean, I've seen AI that's been generated. Um, AI has taken iPhone footage 
and just mm-hmm. plotted it all out and figured out what's what. And it just has created an animation based on that. So you don't even need the volume. You don't need the suits. You don't need the dots. You don't need the helmet. I mean, maybe it's not getting the intricate performance details that the dots and the helmet are going to give you. But I mean, it's only a matter of time. So yeah, yeah I mean, in terms, you do kind of learn it as you do it. You know, it's funny when you're sort of dropped in at the deep end, you kind of figure it out. But um, weirdly, the tech wasn't quite as much of a stress for me as just being off book. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was the thing that stressed me yeah. out. <laughs> Maybe just in the last few minutes, we can talk a little bit about, not to bring down the mood, but we can talk a little bit about AI mm. and how that might change the video game industry in the future. Because I think that's one of the things that um, that all of us are, are a bit worried about. Because now all of these NPCs that we have all been playing for a long time, uh, they might go the way of AI. They they yeah. will and have already, and they will more in the future. And I don't know. I think I think that as far as AI is concerned, a, a lot of the main roles and anyone who has a, a speaking part and anything where there is a big emotional range will still be done by humans yeah because i think it's just too tricky to try and program artificial intelligence to give a performance that is authentic and and human um and that might change in the future but for now i think having a real performance is more important than being able to do it quickly and cheaply and honestly it's not it, it doesn't cost that much. I mean, when a video <laughs> game makes a billion in, dollars, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like you're talking about, we're paying, we're paying actors 900 something dollars, like a thousand dollars to come in for one day yeah, and a four hour session and record whatever you can in that four hours. Like that's not a huge, that's not a huge amount of money. How many hours does it take to program or to tweak and to, you know, make an AI do what you want it to do? It ain't going right. to be quick. Yeah. And and I think the quality of the human performance is just, it just can't be replaced by a robot. If this were, if this AI technology came along 25 years ago to this degree of quality, yeah, it would be probably better than 90% of the performances in video games. Mm-hmm. But now there is no quarter given to the, the cinematic uh, standards of uh, video games. People who consume video games are not backward in coming forward when it comes to criticizing performance in video games. So, you know, there is, you know, you have to deliver an authentic, real, human, grounded performance. And the the small amount of money that you save not hiring an actor versus the potential lost income of a game not succeeding, it doesn't make any sense to me why a game company would not hire a real actor for those lead roles. But like you say, NPCs, and NPCs are non-playable characters, if you if you don't know. These are characters that you interact to interact with briefly. They sort of wander around and you know they give you information if you need it and, and what have you. It's not quite as critical that those characters are fully grounded. Meryl Streep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what could be beneficial is to have a character that can speak to you and respond to your input in real time. Yeah. And that's really exciting, you know, from a game perspective. You can't, as a voice actor, record enough original lines to cover every scenario in that instance. So using an AI that comes up with spontaneous responses is going to keep 
you know, game players' interest probably longer. Um, so that's exciting from a game player's perspective, but that does take away some work from voice actors, of course. So that is a little concerning. So as with probably a lot of genres, there's going to be change. It is not going to be complete, most probably, but it just means if you want to work at these top-tier video games for these companies, you know, you're going to have to go for lead roles and, and speaking roles rather, and playable characters rather than you know, being able to sort of work your way in with NPCs and, and things like that. It's going to be like The Last of Us. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. All of yeah, us we voice got, actors. Yeah, we got uh, <laughs> adaptations for TV and film and things like that. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's going to be a lot of video game work for people in the future. Um, but yeah, I think AI is going to take over uh, some of the smaller roles in the beginning and then maybe some of the bigger roles later. But yeah, there's lots of room for humans. Yeah, and and there's so much money to be made from a video game developer's perspective. Just cheaping out on some AI voices doesn't seem like a risk worth taking to me. But yeah, maybe maybe it'll be that plus a combination of they take your voice and you license them, give them the ability to create new lines for a, for a fee, you know, and yeah. so maybe you don't have to do these and many four characters and multiple characters. Yeah, many different characters. Yeah, they, they'll be able to change your voice and change your performance to fit a bunch of different characters. And in that case, maybe Meryl Streep is the best person because she could act a bunch of different characters and they could change yeah. their voice <laughs> into a bunch of different things. And you could do you could do your character in French and German and Japanese and Italian and, you know, it's still you, you know. It's true. So uh, maybe it's not good for the or dubbing people. Or it's Meryl Streep. Or it's Meryl Streep. Yeah, <laughs> as me. <laughs> My dream come true. <laughs> oh. All right, any, well, I always ask you this, any final thoughts? Um, they're getting better and better and more complex and more interesting. And it's a genre that I feel like if you have a desire to do it, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. But just protect your voice. Protect your voice and, and be aware of all the techniques to enable you to do the work without harming yourself for future work. <laughs> um, that's what I would, I would add. But it is a really fun genre to work in. End of podcast. <laughs> end. <laughs> Should we end with a cheat code? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jamie, what's your cheat code? <laughs> Falco 69. <laughs> Falco 69? <laughs> 